Welcome back to Headline Monday. This is the Stuttering Sports Podcast, and I'm your host, Spencer. Um, Today, we have a behemoth for an episode. If you do not know what Headline Monday is, what this is, is I go through all the headlines that I pulled from Sunday's action. So, uh, yeah, without further ado, let's get right into it with the first thing that's on the list. That is the Cardinals pulling off a shocker. The Cardinals going into this week needed a win to both bounce back from the Miami loss and to keep hopes of winning the division live and well. The Bills needed a The Bills going into this week did not need a win because even with a loss they would stay first in first in the division, but but a win versus a great Cardinals team would make the team and fans feel a lot more confident moving forward. This was a very even game when you look at the numbers. This was only a two-point win. Both both teams had two turnovers, nearly identical time of possession, no one team racking up penalties. They both had around nine or seven. So, so we knew this game would come down to who had the ball last. We thought the Bills did that. We thought the Bills had the game locked up when they scored with 34 seconds left through a fantastic Stephon Diggs touchdown catch. But, but the Cardinals did have two timeouts remaining, so it was still possible. Then, then you know, when they had no timeouts remaining, stuck at the 43-yard line, needing a touchdown with 11 seconds left, and then Kyler Murray starts scrambling, I'm thinking, all right, this isn't possible. They're not winning this game. Kyler Murray's wasting time scrambling. And then right before he runs out of bounds, he throws a bomb that I see three white jerseys and one red jersey. And the red jersey came down with the ball. A fantastic throw, an even better catch, game over. Kyler Murray is an MVP candidate and DeAndre Hopkins is the best wide receiver in football. I do not fault the Bills for losing this game. I've been very hard on the Bills recently, but nonetheless, they're 7-3 and and they looked really good. They are a very, very good football team, but DeAndre Hopkins and Kyler Murray pulled off something magical and I still cannot believe it. I jumped up off my chair and said, holy shit because no way that was incredible that catch was amazing and that was a fantastic football game both of these teams deserve credit and deandre hopkins that man that that man got his contract and he's been playing great since i mean okay okay he's always been great but he got the money that he deserved and plays like that are the exact reason why he got paid big time money Moving on to how did the Rams hold Seattle to just 16 points? How did the Rams beat Seattle? Because I did not think the Rams were going to win. The Seahawks going into this week were averaging 34 points per game, which was first in the league. And I and I personally did not think that anyone would be stopping them. You would have to outscore them to to beat them, just like both the Bills and Cardinals did. But the Rams stopped them. How how did they do it? 
the Seahawks very obviously rely on Russell Wilson to win games. But then when he starts to turn the ball over, they lose. Um, when he does not turn the ball over, they win. This week, not only did he throw two interceptions and had one fumble, but DK Metcalf was being guarded by Jalen Ramsey, and Seattle only ran the ball 13 times through their running backs. They need to take pressure off of Russell Wilson if they want to win by running the ball and having DK open. So the Rams put pressure on Russell Wilson in order to win, racking up six sacks this game. They abused Seattle's offensive line and got to one of the best scrambling quarterbacks in the league. You cannot really get to Russell Wilson and the Rams did exactly that. The Rams forced Seattle to throw the ball, essentially without DK Metcalf. He had two catches for 23 yards. They put heavy pressure on Russell Wilson and forced two interceptions and one fumble. And without Chris Carson, their rushing game was lackluster. So the Rams beat Seattle by stopping their offense, which is something we honestly might not see again this season. So this begs the question, Am I concerned about Seattle? No. No, I am not, because DK Metcalf will not be playing Jalen Ramsey every week, and I trust Russ enough to clean up the turnovers, though I am getting a little concerned. It's been, what, three straight? It, it's It's been three of the last four or five weeks. I'm excited to watch him on Thursday Night Football, but it's been a bit concerning. It's been, it's been like my levels of concern have been slowly going up. And, um, well, Chris Chris Carson should be coming back on Thursday night. So, I'm not concerned about Seattle. They are they they are still 6-3, but they're third in their division. And this Cardinals game is going to be crucial for that division placement. So, I'm excited to watch the Thursday night game. And the Rams defense looking very elite. The Rams offense did not impress me, by the way. But, you know... But you know, they did not need to impress me. Their 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 defense did a very, very good job. So, moving on to how the Patriots beat the Ravens on Sunday night national football. Well, um, Lamar Jackson did not have a bad game by any means. He had 242 passing yards, two passing touchdowns, and one interception. And he also had f- 55 rushing yards off of five yards per carry so how did the patriots win new england has such a fantastic scheme and the players stepped up we saw this versus kansas city but the but but the chiefs did manage to pull away at the end and um this time we saw a team that threw the ball 18 total times and ran it 39 times and they did it very efficiently cam newton was 13 for 17 passing all he did was short passes just averaging seven yards per attempt and their running backs um uh harrison burkhead they averaged 5.4 yards per carry and cam took over the red zone rushing with a touchdown there so they did so so they were very efficient versus a great defense so boom how did new england's defense do you have to love 
you have to love New England's defense. I feel like the guys there are bought in and it is working. With Without Stephon Gilmore this week, they held the Ravens passing game to only 242 yards and JC Jackson is now in his fifth straight game with an interception. And there are more small names, small name guys all around playing very, very good football. This Patriots defense may may not be great at times, but there are nights where they look great, and this game was one of those nights. So this begs the question. So now do you consider me concerned about Baltimore? Yes. I, I, I am a little concerned about this Ravens team, but there's nothing new here. This is this this is not some new like it's not some new like revelation that Lamar Jackson is not a great passer and really needs to step that up, but we already knew that. I think this game comes down to New England doing just such a fantastic job on both offense and defense. Their scheme was very efficient. Their offensive line did a great job. And their defense did not allow big plays. That was the biggest part of this game, was that the Patriots did not allow big plays. That is something that the Ravens thrive off of. They thrive off of Marquise's Browns' playmaking ability. They thrive off of Lamar Jackson's playmaking ability. And, um... They simply did not get that. So I give the Patriots all the credit in the world this week. Moving on to the battle between rookie quarterbacks. We had Justin Herbert versus Tua Tagovailoa. The battle of rookie QBs was a good one. Justin Herbert threw for 187 yards, two touchdowns, and one interception off of 63%. Versus a great pass defense. Plus he also rushed for a touchdown. Tua threw for 169 and two touchdowns. Versus a fine pass defense with 60% with 60% completion rate. The game in the late third and early fourth was a struggle between which team could get the momentum and just cruise for the rest of the game. And the Dolphins did exactly that with a huge Xavier Howard interception to set them up for a touchdown and then further the lead to 12 points and essentially put the game away. Both of these teams looked great, but the reason Tua and the Dolphins are winning these games comes down to defense and special teams. The Dolphins are currently on a five-game win streak, and in that stretch, they have given up 17 points per game and have gotten 10 takeaways. They have forced 10 turnovers while allowing 17 points per game over the last five games. I, I I felt the need to repeat that because that is incredible. While, while for the special teams, Jakeem Grant continues to be one of the best return men in the league, and they've racked up multiple blocked punts over these last few weeks. Tua in the offense definitely needs work, but for the time being, they look fine on offense, 
and their defense is top five, maybe top three in the league. I consider Brian Flores to be a great coach, a coach of the year candidate, and a fan, just a fantastic pickup for Miami. So now when you look at the Chargers, they're they are they are now two and seven. And um, it is definitely concerning because, well, they're not making the playoffs. They're going to get a high draft pick because they're not winning games. But they found their quarterback. Their quarterback has weapons in Austin Eckler, who has been injured for, for, for most of the season. They have, they still have Keenan Allen, who was great. They have Mike Williams, a great red zone threat. And um, they could use a third wide receiver. They could use some more running back help. Definitely some more offensive line help, but I think the main issue here is that their defense is just lackluster. Um, so that's my main critique with the Chargers is they really need it, just just at least Derwin James to be healthy. Um, and that's the same goes with Joey Bosa. But yeah, they definitely need more help on the defensive end of the ball. And um, yeah, you know, the, the Dolphins have looked great. While the uh, while the Chargers they have looked good in the they have looked great for the future, but but for the 2020 season not so much. Moving on to the next topic, and this topic is: Are the Steelers overrated? Last week I saw a bunch of people on both Twitter and Instagram talk about how the Steelers and talking about them being the most overrated eight and O team of all time. The reasoning behind that was that Pittsburgh does tend to play down to competition and keep games close. The main examples being the Cowboys game, then the Denver game where Drew Locke got hurt and Jeff Driscoll almost led the team to a to a win. My my answer to that question is fuck no. Pittsburgh is not overrated and my rebuttal to that, my reasoning behind it is that the Steelers in 3 straight weeks from I believe week 6 to week 8 beat 3 one loss or undefeated teams being the Browns who were 4 and 1, the Titans who were 5 and 0 oh, and the Ravens who were 6 and 1. So they beat 3 teams including a stomp over the Browns two both nail biters against the Titans and Ravens after a huge 26 point win over the Bengals the Steelers now rank fourth in points per game scoring scoring 30 points per game they rank sixth in third down conversion percentage and second in average scoring margin only 0.3 points behind the Chiefs so that means even when Pittsburgh does 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 tend to play down to competition like 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 they do, they also have blowout games such as the Browns, such as the Bengals. So, I'm not worried about the offense. On defense, Pittsburgh ranks 3rd, 3rd for opponent points per game, only giving up 19 points per game. Pittsburgh is far and away first in sacks per game first in takeaways per game, averaging two every week. So no, I don't think this team is overrated. And I must say, if you have watched Pittsburgh over the last four to five years, you know how much this team tends to play down to competition. But 
but but contrarily they also play up to great teams and play really tough nose football so no this team's not overrated it's just the idiots that say oh they 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 almost lost to the cowboys whoa like no no nine and oh just does not simply happen nine and oh does not lie i do not think these steelers are overrated i i i I had to bring some Steelers bias to one of these episodes because I was tired of hearing that stupid fucking narrative. So I just had to shut that down real quick. Moving on to, are the Titans overrated? After a 5-0 start and Ryan Tannehill in the MVP conversation, the Titans have leveled out, losing three of their last four. Losing to the Steelers by three points when you did not play very well to begin with, fair fair enough, it happens, but when you lose to the Bengals, giving up 31 points in the process, that's a bit scary. You beat the Bears, good, good job, but I must say Chicago almost came back, but it was too little too late. Then, Then you lose by 17. And a game on primetime TV that decides first place in the division right now. I'm getting very worried about this team. Mike Vrabel is a great coach. They have the best pure running back in the NFL and Derrick Henry. Tannehill can be very good. We saw that throughout the first five games. And I personally love A.J. Brown. But that defense does not do them any favors. So when so, so when the offense is not clicking, they fall into mediocrity. Their their defense is mediocre, so they need the offense to step up. And when they do, it is simply awesome. But when the offense does not step up, they're on the outside looking in on the Super Bowl contender bubble, and they're only a good just a fine team when their offense does does not step up. So, do I consider them overrated? No. I think they played a really good Colts team. And um, Derrick Henry still averaged 5 yards per carry. Just Tannehill was not throwing the ball well. But they need the offense to start clicking immediately if, if they really want to win that division. Because 1-3 is definitely scary that is not nothing that is something pretty major like one and three after starting five and oh yeah no that's fucking scary so um i do not consider them to be overrated i still love Vrabel. i still really like that trio but they need a lot of help on defense and their offense has got a click for them to win games so moving on to this very simple question that I have not been able to answer these last few weeks, and that is how do I view the Las Vegas Raiders? I think this team is very weird. They just had a great 37-12 win that I will talk about later, but um, I'm just going to bring up a, 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 a bunch of numbers, just a bunch of stats that basically I honed in on to basically answer that question. How do I view the Raiders? So, for the offensive side of the ball, they are 5th in rushing attempts per game. They are averaging 31 rushing attempts per game. And they're 26th in passing attempts per game. So, you know, 
they're a rush-heavy offense, and they know not to put all the faith in into Derek Carr and essentially Nelson Aguilar, and it's working. They're averaging 28 points per game, and that ranks them at 8th in the league. On defense, they have a slightly above average rush defense, ranking 13th, and while they do have a bad pass, pass defense, ranking 25th, which makes them give up 27 points per game. So, you know, the defense is okay. You can consider them below average. There is nothing special there. They do not force many turnovers, but are one of the best teams when it comes to not getting penalties, ranking 7th lowest in the league in penalties per game. So, how are they 6-3? and three? I do not know. They're a good team, but 6-3 and three is kind of crazy considering the numbers. And if they can beat Kansas City one more time and sweep that series, that would be insane. I viewed them as a very well-coached team. That if they can just develop these recent first-rounders, they will be a great team here soon. And I must say, the passing attempt numbers are a bit troubling, but you know, they aren't paying Derek Carr much. I think they're only paying him $25 million per year, which I remember was like, whoa, they paid him that much back in like 2017, but now that's literally not shit compared to Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. So I mean, hey, you know, go for it. Like, you're not paying Derek Carr much. And this very obviously seems to be working. So I say good for the Raiders. That was a great 37-12 win this week. And I view them as a very, very good team. I don't view them as great, but I'm excited to watch them versus the Chiefs because if they can do it again, that would be awesome. Moving on to how should we look at the Packers after this Jacksonville game? So, the Packers are now 7-2, and two, and almost just lost to a Luton-led Jaguars team. So, I'm going to say what I think the main issue is with this Packers team, because I think they are a fantastic team, but I think the main issue here is their rushing game. We have Aaron Jones, who is a fantastic running back, super, super talented, But he's got to step up and be more efficient before Jamal Williams and A.J. Dillon start, like, seriously taking snaps away from him. Like, I know that Jones and Williams kind of split snaps sometimes, but um, this is a bit concerning considering that he rushed for 3.5 yards per carry against Jacksonville. He rushed for 1.5 yards per carry versus Tampa. But hey, it, but hey, you know what? It was Tampa's rush defense. I'll, I, can, I can give you some leeway there, but then he did not have a very great game versus San Francisco. But you know, you can also give some leeway there. He was just coming off of injury. He was essentially a game-time decision. So, he, so like, you know what? You have two kind of rough... You have two kind of rough games coming off of injury and just playing Tampa. But then you're playing Jacksonville, a perfect bounce back game because it's Jacksonville. And then you average 3.5 yards per carry. 
I'm a bit concerned. I'm concerned with the rushing game. Um, as much as I love Rodgers and and as much as I think he can handle anything, it's it is never a good thing when you put more pressure onto your quarterback. I'm not saying Rodgers cannot handle the pressure. I'd be a fucking idiot to say that. But I must say it's never something that you want to do. So I think their rushing game has been a problem. And I think their defense is overall just okay. But I really think their rushing game needs to step up. So moving on to my third to last topic. And this is my opinion. I think the Browns should get rid of Baker this offseason. With Nick Chubb back playing a bad Houston defense, you expect them to bare minimum score 21 points, right? Nope. Nope. They scored 10. Baker Mayfield threw for 132 yards. Nick, Nick Chubb ran for 126. And Kareem Hunt ran for 104. So the rushing game is there. There is no issue there. But it but but it is an issue when two of your running backs almost have more yards than your quarterback. Against Houston. Houston's defense is bad. It's not good at all. Nonetheless, though, they won and the defense looked great. I've always been one of the people that a win is a win. So, nonetheless, they won. So, so um, so yeah, congratulations on that. Six and three is impressive, but with a star quarterback, they would be a great team. I do not know how they would get that star. I do not know how they would get that star quarterback. I do not know who that guy is, but the Browns may need a new QB, and I think that they do. And the reason why I credit uh, teams, teams, teams like the Raiders and New England, like I have this podcast for more relying to their rushing game instead of their passing game is because the Browns have sank so much into their passing game. A first overall pick for, 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 for Baker Mayfield, so much money to Austin Hooper, a first round pick for David and Joku, a fourth for Harrison Bryant. So much money in a first to Odell. So much money to Jarvis Landry. They have sank so much into this passing game. And it's just not there compared to New England, who you have Cam Newton, who's on a minimum contract, throwing the ball to Jacoby Myers and um, Ryan Izzo, because currently Julian Edelman is out. So yeah, they have not sank much there. And you have the Raiders, who, you know... Who you know they have, they have given Derek Carr a a back in 2016 a large contract, but now you know 25 million. That's not much for a QB. That's like you know that's that's like those are the numbers you kind of expect from a guy making 25 per per season. Now when you look at the weapons, yes, you know they have sank a first and to Henry Ruggs, but that's only one receiver compared to Aguilar and. I don't even know their other receivers. For <laughs> like, like they have not sank as much as this Browns team has for such mediocre results. That is why I credit the Patriots and uh, Las Vegas for what they're doing. And then go ahead, 
and then critique the Browns. I did not want to sound like a hypocrite there. I wanted to clean that up. So, uh, yeah. Moving on to another question mark when it comes to a young quarterback, and that is Drew Locke. And should the Broncos consider getting rid of Drew Locke this offseason? The Broncos are a curious case to me. Drew Locke looked great at the end of last season, and Denver drafted multiple weapons for him, such as Jerry Judy and KJ Handler, and signed Melvin Gordon, seemingly going all in with this guy. And you cannot blame him because he looked great. So, recently, Drew Locke has looked inconsistent and very shaky. His first game back from injury versus 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 New England, he had a bad game, but that is understandable because it's his first game back and he's playing New England. So I won't hold that hold it against him, but then two interceptions versus Kansas City. All right, I'm a bit worried. He had a nice comeback win versus the Chargers where he scored 21 during the fourth quarter. That's awesome. Threw for 300 yards versus Atlanta. That's awesome. Then four interceptions against the Raiders? I don't I don't think that's very awesome. I don't think that's awesome at all. That's that's very bad. Four interceptions versus a bad pass defense like we talked about previously with the Raiders. So that begs the question. Should they look into another option this offseason? No. I, I do not think they should. But this is a bit strange. He has got to tighten this up. I get that he is young and so are his weapons. And also Cortland Sutton is out. But Drew Locke this season, man, after that, after that great ending to last season where he looked incredible, where a lot of people were cheering him on and now throwing seven TDs and 10 interceptions so, so far this season. That's a that's a bit concerning. He has got to tighten this up. Four interceptions just should not happen no matter who you are. I do not think they should look into another option because he is still very young with a lot of upside. And so is Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler. So, uh, yeah, I don't think they should look into another option, but I am concerned. Just 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 yeah, just consider me concerned. Moving on to the final topic of the day, and this is a this is this is an injury update on Drew Brees and Teddy Bridgewater. And uh yeah, so uh right now Drew Locke is likely to miss time with rib and shoulder with injuries to his shoulder and rib. I wish him the best of luck, especially late in his career. Well, this is fine where this is probably his last or second to last year, especially when New Orleans can make a Super Bowl run. But, but oddly, luckily, they do have Jameis Winston. Jameis is a super curious case because, you know, he, because, hey, you know, he threw for 5,000 yards last year, but he also threw 30 picks, and that's what led to him getting a one-year, $1 million contract. And hopefully... I know he got eye surgery, and hopefully playing under Drew Brees has given him 
has given him more understanding of how to be more efficient with the ball. Just just like don't be loose. Hope hopefully his accuracy has gotten better. So so I mean so I mean to be honest, I am kind of happy to watch Jameis play because I do think he has talent. And I hope that playing under and with Drew Brees has given him pointers on how to be a more efficient, more a more accurate quarterback. And let's just say, let's just say Drew Lock, I'm mean not excuse me, Drew Brees misses three weeks. Jameis can play well versus Atlanta, Denver, then Atlanta again. So I'm not super concerned. And they are seven and two with and they do have the advantage. over Tampa because they beat them twice so they can afford a loss and still be first so I'm excited to watch Jameis play assuming that it's not Taysom Hill and then assuming that Drew Brees misses three weeks because it's still too early to tell moving on to Teddy Bridgewater then I'll get to the outro Teddy Bridgewater sustained a knee injury late in the week 10 matchup versus the Buccaneers or that was not a pretty game but luck but luckily and thankfully the MRI showed no structural damage to his knee. His status right now is uncertain for this week's matchup versus the Lions, but he should be good for the rest of the season and that is very good because when I saw Teddy Bridgewater went down with a knee injury, my mind went to the worst because of what happened back in I think it was 2016, that horrible injury that he sustained. Very happy that Teddy Bridgewater is going to be good. And I do wish the best of luck to to Drew Brees. And I do hope that Jameis does play well. So that's going to do it for me today. If you enjoyed this, share it with your friends. If not, share it with your friends. I'm trying to make the podcast longer. I've gotten to the point where like 15, 20 minutes is kind of the normal. And I really want it to get up to like 30 to 40 minutes. So yeah, so I think that 40 minutes is that sweet spot that I'm trying to hit. I'm like five, six minutes off this episode, but that's okay. I'll get to it. So yeah, I'm trying to put more into these podcasts, trying to put more work into it. And uh, yeah, hope I hope you guys will enjoy. Follow me on Twitter at Stuttering Prods. That's Stuttering P-R-O-D-S. And Instagram at That Guy Who Talks About The Sports. I post smaller content on there. Yes, I post stuff on there. Is it very good? It doesn't look very good, but I'm doing it. So, uh, yeah, check, check that out. And I hope you enjoyed and have a great day.